0: chapter twenty six of from alien to citizen the story of my life in america by edward steiner this librivox recording is in the public domain read by Michelle fry baton rouge louisiana chapter twenty six the lower town church the lower town church in a large city of the northwest was situated between huge railroad yards terminals of two transcontinental railroads and the cemetery a more peaceful terminus. It was not an ideal location for a church. The earth vibrated day and night from the shock of thundering trains, and the air was thick from rising smoke and falling cinders. My parishioners, all of them wage-earners, worked almost without exception either on the railroad or in the cemetery among the quick and the dead." whichever way i looked i saw either a railroad train or a funeral procession and neither was an uninspiring sight for a minister of the gospel the church building stood at the edge of a deep ravine in the bosom of a sandy hill from below it came the curling smoke and from above the sifting sand had we been roman catholics we would have needed no incense had we been mohammedans we would not have had to seek the desert but being protestants who desired to sing hymns and listen to sermons we worshipped under difficulties the interior of the church was as unprepossessing as the exterior a much-worn carpet loosely held together by reluctant patches covered the floor and the walls plainly showed the effect of nearness of the railroad a small cabinet organ with the pulpit which latter stood upon rather insecure foundations occupied the platform the pews were augmented by some plain chairs, and the illumination was furnished by smoky coal-oil lamps, which did not moderate the cold in winter, but greatly increased the heat in summer. The wealth and the beauty of that church were, nevertheless, unsurpassed. Many of those who sat in the pews came with weary bodies, often walking a mile or two, in spite of the fact that all the week they had labored for a scant wage. They came for one great solemn purpose, to hear the gospel preached whole families came and as children were much in fashion the pews were full and the atmosphere was charged with vital piety it was a cosmopolitan congregation scotch scotch-irish and real irish germans english and french swedes and norwegians one happy italian and a few americans the children were mixtures of many races splendid new stock to quicken the life of the nation it was an inspiration to hear that congregation sing defying the clang of bells and the noise of shrill whistles the wheezy little cabinet organ was played by a delicate pale-faced woman who transformed it making up with her soul and heart what the instrument lacked i do not know how i preached blunderingly no doubt but with a passion and an eloquence which i have rarely reached since for here the word of god was in its native element among the poor they were self-respecting dignified poor who were rich in faith and in good works they gave more than the rich and rejoiced in the giving although they suffered because of their generosity they rivalled all other churches of that denomination in the city in their contributions to good works i always dreaded to make an appeal for i knew they would give more than they could afford they gave not only money but themselves the women weary from their own labour came to scrub the floors or patch the hopeless carpet or wash the clinging soot from windows and walls they taught in the sunday-school and sang in the choir the men were as faithful as the women they kept the building from caving in or from sliding down the steep hillside they laboured with me in the church i wish i could erect a monument to those deacons real new testament deacons they were the embodiment of loyalty to the beloved community if i single out one name from the rest it is because i owe to him who bears it a debt which cannot be cancelled and i trust that this page may still find him among the living deacon nycow a strong firm broad-minded scotchman who saw through my weaknesses the bit of strength and through my bungling the good intent who prayed for me and worked with me and was helpfully present at every meeting he never praised me fulsomely but the pressure of his hand always carried a current of new life and hope into my worn and discouraged frame i passed through a rather severe mental crisis during my pastorate in the lower town church but faith never failed me because i knew this man who was a true disciple whom the higher criticism left unmoved to him there were no interpolated phrases and only one authorship jesus christ to one who has gone to his reward I should like to pay my tribute, William F. Myron, who ministered to the Lord in song, whose personal friendship was unwavering, and who took the brunt of the hardest tasks to save me. His loyal wife, one of that company of women, survives him, and although she has moved to upper town, she has remained faithful to the lower town church, a bit of heroism rare in these days my pastoral work was a shepherd's task with all the shepherd's joys and sorrows for even in that flock there were unruly sheep who wandered away and whom i had to seek out and bring back to the fold one of my wayward sheep should have been called a ram at least when he gave way to his enemy Husky in his veins flowed the blood of scotch highland chiefs and british pirates his every nerve was charged with a fierce courage and a thirst for alcohol when sober he was as noble as a knight and quite as handsome when drunk he slipped back a thousand years and all his lawless ancestors and their name was legion took possession of him under the strange spell of intoxication he could repeat the westminster catechism the metric version of the psalms and the poems of bobby burns backward and forward, and never missing a word. Right eloquent was he, but woe unto him who crossed his path and attempted to cross him. He was a periodical drunkard, and when the passion overcame him, he made up in a week what he had missed through sober months. During one of these sprees he lost his job, and his wife and children were in want. I, as a good shepherd, went after my wandering sheep. I found him in a melancholy mood. He looked upon me as Saul might have looked upon David, with a sort of contemptuous pity. My gentle admonitions he met with apt quotations from the scriptures, such as quote, "And wine maketh glad the heart of man." End quote. When I began to upbraid him, he rose in all his offended dignity. Why well, bade ye come to my house? When I told him that it was my duty to come, nah, nah, it's not your duty to come into me house. AND WITH THAT HE TOOK ME, NOT GENTLY, BY THE BACK OF MY NECK, CARRIED ME OUT AND SET ME UPON THE SIDEWALK WITH THESE WORDS, DOMINI, YOU NEED NOT COME TO MY HOUSE MORE TILL I SEND FOR ye. HE DID SEND FOR ME, AND I WENT AGAIN AND AGAIN WITH PRAYER AND ADMONITION, BUT HIS ANCESTORS WERE TOO MUCH FOR HIM. HE WENT OUT IN ONE OF THOSE STORM-TOSSED DAYS OF HIS AND NEVER RETURNED ALIVE i tried to save much humid wreckage succeeding in some cases and failing in others i drew an ill-mated couple into the fold but they would not remain enfolded both were intemperate he with liquor she was novels he was born on the coast of maine followed the sea then drifted inland and tried to settle down at a cobbler's bench in lower town many an hour i sat on a three-legged stool opposite watching him straighten out crooked heels and patch worn-out soles the straightening of a pair of crooked heels is after all an easy job even if each be worn in another direction but to straighten out a pair of ill-shaped and ill-mated human beings ay there's the rub time after time i found him standing by the kitchen stove drinking beer from a tin pail and eating a smoked herring out of soiled fingers while his wife sat in her untidy parlour in the one rocking-chair of which it boasted reading the memoirs of madame pompadour or other spicy stuff all their trivial quarrels were brought to me he showed me his unmended garments as proof of her negligence and she displayed the black and blue spots with which her spouse had decorated her what made the situation more tragic was that they were both deeply religious, and their seasons of repentance came at the most unexpected and inconvenient times. At two o'clock in the morning he would waken me from my slumbers to pray for him, his soul sober, but his body still staggering. She usually came on Saturdays when I was busy with my sermons. At such times she would pour out her soul before me, confessing her sins and promising to tidy up, cook a decent meal, and be done with novels these seasons of repentance with much effort on my part sometimes lasted a week or two then they both slipped back he to beer and herring she to her rocking chair and the novels i thought it a day of great triumph when in one of those repentant moods they united with the church she gaunt and ungainly towered above him undersized and cadaverous his eyes burning from the supreme desire for drink when confessing their sins they professed repentance and accepted the guidance of the christ i thought i heard the angels in heaven rejoice both the man and his wife leaned upon me more than upon their lord so before many months i found him reeling and his wife rocking as before finally the last enemy came to claim him he went once more upon the sea during a storm he tried to take in the torn flapping sails and fell into the hungry waves after his death his wife left the city and it was years before i heard of her again she had cast in her lot with a certain religious group and was leading a respectable and useful life fortunately the majority of the people and homes of the lower town church were not of the stamp just described and i came in contact with many interesting if humble people of varied creeds and races Lower Town had no parks, no sparkling fountains, no shade trees, no green lawns, but it had children, children innumerable, French toddlers whose eyes were bigger than all the rest of them, olive-complexioned, dirty, junior banana peddlers, tow-headed little Swedes, and Pat's and Mike's innumerable. It has often been a question why there were so many of them in Lower Town, but I think now that they were all made for Mike Flaherty's candy store. So read his gorgeously painted sign, and the children swarmed around the store like bees around clover. "'Oich! I love de childers,' Mike used to say. "'Me and we Mary ain't had none of our own.' And here he heaved a deep sigh. Forty years have we been married, come next St. Patrick's Day, and never a chick nor child of our own. God bless em all, the little darlings. I love em all, except them dirty little dagos. Got em I can't stand them. They smell sure.' here his grimy fist would come down upon the counter with such force that the candy-jars rattled in sympathy you don't believe me oh, i say it again they smell sure they do i smell the varmints a square away sure for all that mike had no compunction in taking their pennies as they came to him from many a dirty palm in exchange for his chewing gum his fly-specked marbles and sticks of many-hued candy Mike and Mary had kept the Lower Town Candy Store for many years. At four o'clock in the morning, the door would swing open and the curtain would be raised, disclosing to view the same boxes of chewing gum, a tray full of jewelry premiums for the gum purchasers, marbles and tops. Until twelve o'clock at night, the dim light burned in a transparency, assuring the passerby of ice cream for sale by the quart or dish inside. Mary was the presiding genius during the early morning hours, and Mike held vigil while burning the midnight oil. As he felicitously expressed it, Mary catches the early birds, and I catches the late ones. Mike was small and wiry, only a slight tilt of the nose betraying his nationality. He wore his hair long and brushed it tightly over the bald spot in front. A large cross hung from his huge watch-chain. You mightn't think them as real diamonds, sure he would say to every new acquaintance very few thinks it but they are genuine no they never would think it for there was no more light or sparkle in those stones than there was in poor mary's pale blue eyes mary must once have been a beautiful girl her complexion still showed some of the blush of youth lingering as the sunset glow lingers in the sky her hair almost white was still abundant for some time I had noticed in my not infrequent visits to the dear old couple that Mary seemed frailer than usual, so it was no shock to me when Mike came breathlessly into my study one day, crying, Mary is awful sick, sure. I am going for the doctor. Won't you come over and watch by her while I fetches him? I found Mary almost unconscious, lying on the couch. When she saw me, she lifted her feeble fingers to her forehead, making the sign of the cross. I understood. She wanted a priest, but not daring to leave her alone, I took the crucifix from the wall and gave it to her. She pressed it to her lips while I knelt and prayed as best I could. I never felt that I knew how to pray for the dying, but I did pray until Mike came with the doctor. Then I went for the priest. He performed the sacred rites of the extreme unction and prayed in a different tongue and a different way from mine, but I am sure that our petitions did not clash as they rose to the throne of God another home where i loved to go was a bright spot where one good housewife had successfully battled with soot and smoke and dust and grime this bright spot was old mrs kaiser's cottage a freshly painted iron fence replaced the wooden one which had been withered away by the army of lower town loafers or carried away little by little for kindling wood by her economically inclined irish neighbors old-fashioned hollyhocks grew inside the railing peonies sweet william and geraniums guarded the porch and climbing over it was a virginia creeper its bright green with shining leaf assuring the passer-by that both porch and vine were scrubbed every summer's day the flowers were brighter than any in lower town and every sunday a bouquet tightly tied into a towering pyramid stood on the pulpit of the lower town church but brighter than her flowers and vine was dear old mrs kaiser herself she was much bent by age there was hardly a tooth in her mouth but there shone in her eyes the light of goodness which burns brighter as the body fails a sweet sad smile always played about her lips and when she stood among her hollyhocks and peonies or sitting on the porch rocked and rocked as she peeped through the vines there was sunshine in lower town one stormy winter's night i was hastily called to this bright spot to administer the communion dear old Mrs. Kaiser, was dying. A spiritual radiance which emanated from her face seemed to fill the room. Her mind, weakened by illness, wandered, and I was her son, the one who had gone from her years before and never returned. She looked strangely like my own dear mother, and I did love her as a son. She believed in the transubstantiation of the bread and wine. To her they were the real body and blood of the slain Son of God as i held the sacramental cup to her lips i cared not to disturb her unwavering faith and i am sometimes tempted to believe that even so great a miracle was possible in an atmosphere like that in which antagonistic faiths blended and strangers became mother and son the next spring the beautiful flowers in front of mrs kaiser's cottage were sadly neglected and another bright spot in lower town had grown dim for the sand and soot had claimed it as their own the great and permanent result of my lower town ministry was the new note which came into my preaching it used to be people be good in a hundred ways from a hundred texts i had preached it now it became people be good to one another and no matter what my text or my subject whether i preach or teach or write in one way or another it comes people be good to one another in lower town i saw the supreme test of the church accomplished a vital unity was created among people of different races and tongues they were bound together into a new blood kinship which is wider than tribe or nation or race and they were a new people one in christ jesus there for the first time i came in touch with the melting pot it was not a chafing dish with an alcohol lamp under it, as many, forming their conception of it from Mr. Zangwell's rather mild drama, imagine it to be. It was a real seething cauldron, with its age-old fires of hate and prejudice threatening to consume its contents. Then came the torrent of love with its mighty power, putting out the old fire by kindling a new one. There, in Lower Town, my neighbor, an old Jewish ragman, came and asked me to commit a matrimony by marrying his niece to as typical an Irishman as I have ever seen. There, too, I baptized the baby born of that Irish-Jewish parentage. The relatives on both sides claimed the privilege of selecting its name, and decided on Patrick and Moses, respectively. A conflict seeming imminent, as I stood ready to perform the sacred rite, i interposed and with one syllable from each name baptized the child patmos which satisfied both factions this boy patmos became rather symbolic of all my ministry for it has been my supreme effort to reconcile old divisions blot out old hates and bring into kinship those who have been afar off it would be too great presumption to believe that i have always succeeded but to feel that i have tried that i am still trying and have not lost faith that it shall ultimately be accomplished is something in which to glory End of chapter twenty six